Um, yeah, I was sure to know how to get into it. We haven't got time to fanny about. So, running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, it's important to remember that every single race that we do is a fantastic training session, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. It's the best training. Go and do lots of small races. Count them as doing training with a number on. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to the show, your weekly dose of running motivation. I am Jake Lowe, running coach, ready to motivate your socks off, give you some great tips and tricks to help you get the most out of the sport of running. That is what we're here to do. We aim to please. We have another cracking show lined up for you today. Fabulous guest, fabulous guest, who has actually been on before. He's a very good friend of mine, a dear friend, and he's back on today. You're going to love it. You say he's a dear friend, but he doesn't even know your name, mate. I mean, come on. Yeah, Mike Grattan is a big... St- he's, 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 he's my favourite running coach because he's told me that it's OK to stick with my old Everlast trainers. That's great. And he's your favourite running coach because he's just one of the people who got you into running. He won the London Marathon 1983. He's an absolute legend. And now you've managed to convince yourself somehow that you're best friends, even though the proof is that he doesn't even know your name. Please explain. Look, OK, I, I maybe overstate it slightly in saying, like we're really best buddies we're not best buddies but I did thought we I felt there was a special bond when we had him on the show last time we exchanged a few messages before and after we recorded that call and you know I just thought we're connecting here this is good and then you know I signed up for his race as you know if you're a regular listen to the show I did the South Downs Trail Half Marathon recently Mm. that was one of Mike Gretton's races through his events company 209 events and I I saw him it was the first time I met him and I was like Mike Mike and and, you know obviously you know I can't kind of give the guy a big hug or a handshake or anything you know with the whole social but obviously I went over hey how you doing and he was like yeah good are you looking forward to the race blah 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 clearly super busy which I get so I thought well I'll catch up with you afterwards I'll I'll catch up with you later Mike and I did (laughs) after the event but then he was doing the whole with the microphone calling people in across the finish line giving the numbers and all that I gave him a little wave it was a bit awkward Mm. because I was quite far away and then he took it upon himself to mention that he was coming back on the podcast. He wanted to mention the show, which is a great idea. Little That's bit of- great. That's brilliant. That shows that he's behind what you do. He is. Exactly. I thought we were friends. So he, he had a real good go at it. And obviously, you know what these uh, these PA announcements are like. Not the clearest when you're in an open field with the M4 running behind you. Sure, it's true. And he has a stab at announcing the show. <laughs> Only... <laughs> It was going really well, up to the point that he said running with Josh. Josh. Well, Jake and Josh, interchangeable. I I just... But you could see the confusion in his face because he realised... I don't think that's quite right. But I wasn't close enough to him to correct him. Right. I was too far away. And there's loads of other runners milling around. I sort of... I'm thinking, do I shout my name? So I sort of... I sort of went... I, I, I tried to talk normally, but project. It was really weird. It was like... It's Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you don't want Jake. to be that person who corrects somebody publicly. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. So to whisper it loudly, that's definitely the way to go. It's running, it's running, it's running with Jake, Mike. It's, it's running with Jake. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I was gutted. I was absolutely good. I thought we got on really, really well. I mean, in my phone, I've not even got him down as Mike Gratton. I've got him down as Mickey G. You know, that's the relationship that I feel that we have. I feel today's conversation, I just think we need to forget it. I think we need to let it pass. And today's conversation, we need to rebuild that love. I think we do. I don't think you'll be coming on a third time, but let's make the most of today. Mickey G, I still love you, man. For the show notes and video content... 
Go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. You're listening to Running With Josh, the podcast. Mike, it doesn't seem like five minutes since I last saw you, my friend. <laughs> I, well, that's been like... Called you Josh instead of Jake. I wasn't even aware. I didn't even pick up on it, to be honest with you. I, I was I... reading the results, so the next person, either above or below, was Josh. And uh, then we all realised what they'd done, so... Yeah, ignore it. It's gone, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show again. Obviously, we did speak previously about your running endeavours, some yeah. of the events as well and stuff. And, you know, training that you've done in, in, in the years gone by and some of the amazing achievements. For me, it was amazing to meet you at the weekend of the South Downs Half Marathon because you build relationships with your guests chatting to them on the show you get into their story and then yeah. to actually get the opportunity to meet you at one of your events and see you in your domain as it were it's fantastic so yeah uh, and what a fantastic event it was quite clear to me as a runner somebody getting involved that the runners absolutely loved it as the event director as somebody that was all hands on deck did you enjoy it was it good to get back out there oh yeah i mean i always enjoy it particularly in kind of reflection uh, but actually on the day, every small thing that goes wrong, and there are things that go wrong even with the biggest events, uh, the important thing is that overall everybody enjoys A, the route, and B, the organisation. So uh, the number of emails we've had, particularly for such a sunny day, that uh, they, they loved being up on the South Downs, really did. Oh, it, it was beautiful. I mean, it felt particularly special to me, Mike, personally. First of all, to, to meet yourself, as I mentioned. But secondly, because we're going to be moving to the area, relocating in August, just to sort of get a big introduction as to the kinds of environment and runs and routes and things that we will have access to. It was beautiful. And you mentioned there, it's funny, isn't it? Runners, you say, well, as long as, you know, they enjoy the route and the organisation. And they're two really big things, actually, aren't they? To get those kind of right. And I suppose from an event, you know, runners, we, we rock up, right, where's where's the medal, where's the T-shirt, where's the starting line, let's get involved, where's the race photographer, all that stuff. But actually, there's so many moving parts going on in the background. Was it draining for you to get involved at the weekend? Are you, how, how are you now? Sort of tired from so much heat at the weekend more than anything. But also, it's more than 16 months since our last race. And actually, we're a hands-on team because it was a small race. We had to make it work financially. Um, we didn't want to cancel it because that's our first race on and there's only about 180 people there. Then you are lifting all the barriers yourself, putting up the tent, you take the tents down. I mark the route out. I walked the whole thing the day before, six and a half hours, putting all the signage up. And at about half past two on the Sussex um, border path, which is the one that went, took you up onto the South Downs between six and nine miles, I was just exposed to the heat all the way up there. I was, I was just drenched, absolutely drenched. And that's tiring in the end because you're just on the go. You don't get much sleep because you're thinking about stuff. But overall, when, it, when it's finished and you've unloaded the van, you've got home with a glass of wine, you think back, and, and then a few emails come in. If someone emails in, they genuinely loved it or they've had a little problem. Didn't happen on this occasion because it wasn't the case, but they might say something like, um, I was still in the toilet when you started. You didn't have enough water lose or um, I couldn't get in the car park or, or whatever. There's... there's normally something like that but they always finish up with a paragraph saying but I really enjoyed it <laughs> so they, they want to tell you uh, in a helpful sort of way that these things work quite right but the important thing is they go away have, have, having had a good day so uh, that's good generally you can't do much wrong with 180 people unless they all go off course but when the first two came in neither of them had ever done the course before and they came in exactly as expected. And I checked Ian's Strava afterwards to make sure he'd done the right route. So you're then relieved that the marking was right. First few people followed the course correctly. So if somebody else further later back sort of goes off course, then that's their fault because 
if the first people can make it and the last person can make it without getting wrong, they've been following the route. And other people, where that happens, sometimes they put their head down, they miss a sign. I don't know if you remember, you went over a little footbridge over the Portsmouth London railway line after about five, That's right. five miles or so. Uh, and there were three arrows to turn people left and a drink station. And the marshal at that point said, despite that, a guy ran between two arrows telling him to go left, uh, <laughs> and passed the drink station and went straight on. You think, well, what can you do about that? <laughs> so so you, you've got to... Right, runners do have to assume some responsibility in the end, watching route markings, particularly on trails, because... Most road races on the open road will have road closures, traffic management companies. Very hard to get lost on the London Marathon, but yeah, 180 people spread out over 13 miles on the South Downs. You may not see somebody else for most of the distance. Yeah, it's a a great point because, you know, there is a responsibility on on the individual, on the runner. And and I often say as a coach, I say to people, don't leave things to chance. Try to take as much control and responsibility of the things that you can of course that's from packing your kit through to following the right signage and keeping your wits about you i do a lot of off-road running as well mark i really enjoy that and i'm not you know a navigation expert but i'm also hyper aware yes it's a training room not a race but i'm hyper aware of the fact that i need to keep my wits about me and really not just kind of go along for the ride and almost be a passenger on that run if it's a new environment i need to really be looking where's the style where am i going next that you know and that's a really important thing especially when you're working hard in a race for sure. Well, listen, we want to pick your brains. We sent a memo out nationwide, worldwide. We said, look, we've got Mike Grattan, winner of the 1983 London Marathon, on the show. He is going to share his top five half marathon tips and tricks, the secrets, the secrets. We've got big expectations here, Mike. But listen, tell me first of all, before I get into some of those tips, because I really want to help the runners listen to the show that are perhaps working towards halves. What halves have you got coming up in the near future that they can perhaps apply some of these tips? Well, we've got two very different ones. The next one is the North Downs half marathon, which is, we've just done the South Downs one. So this is on the North Downs, very similar sort of route runs out of Denby's Vineyard in Dorking and, and more or less goes up some savage slopes just outside. The whole vineyard is on what they call um, Denby's hillside. Uh, and once you're up onto the top, you can see right through the Mole Valley, you can see Dorking Town, the church and all the things. And then across the valley, you can see Box Hill, which was in the Olympic cycle ride. So it's, it's a great course, but it's a challenge. And then two weeks after that, on July the 11th, we've got the Farnborough Half Marathon, which is not entirely flat, but it's a very fast half-mountain road race, which more or less goes around the exterior of Farmer Airfield, but semi-rural. You don't know you're running around an airfield because it's trees and canals and stuff all around you. But, uh, you know, a complete contrast to the, the North Downs. And in terms of the tips we were going to talk about, uh, the first thing to consider is what sort of race are you going to be doing? Half-mountain on the road or on the trails and if it's on the road you probably want to be thinking more 10k speed if you're on the trails you're thinking more about marathon type training so the first stepping stone really of understanding what you're training for yeah that's really important isn't it and i guess there's an element of variety that's involved in training to keep things relatively interesting mix things up for the body but i guess what we're talking about here is be specific with what race are you training for what's the the route like don't just say oh it's a half marathon therefore it's 13.1 miles how are those 13.1 miles made up what sort of terrain are you going to be dealing with yeah that's a, that's a really mm. really important thing isn't it i mean it depends what your target is but um, if you're just doing half marathons as training for something else, which is perfectly valid, um, then you're probably not going to focus your training on on that. Um, so if you were training for the London Marathon in October, but you were using a series of tough half marathons to get 
stronger leg strength and stuff, then just you're really making that part of your endurance training. But if the half marathon, like Farnborough, is a fast course, you want to go for a PB, you have to be specific about running faster, getting to tempo pace more often, that kind of kind of stuff. There's a group of runners that just fear hills and they try to avoid hills at all costs because obviously they're hard work. But there's also mm. a lot of runners that really believe in hill work, you know, hilly routes, hill reps, all that sort of stuff. But actually, if you're training for a really fast half flat, you kind of need to be putting some of that speed in the legs, don't you, is what, is what you're saying there. I guess there's a place for the hills, but just at the right time. Yeah, you can just go and run a hilly course and just accept it's going to be slower. You can, you know, when you start bordering onto fell running, there are techniques of how to walk at a running speed, more or less, uphill, using your hands on your knees as an aid to lifting your body weight. You're not going to get many standard trail races in the southwest of um, Britain, that, that tough so you can just go and run them except that at some point you might have to walk short distance um which is a strange philosophy for a road runner who wants to keep running as fast as they can there's a place for all the ingredients but depending on what your yeah. focus is depends on how much of each ingredient you put into your training mm, I, I, yeah I, I really like that i really like yeah. that that's awesome so yeah. you've got to know what you're training for tip number two mike hit me with it what is your second half marathon training tip the distance really i think people underestimate how much 13 miles takes out of you and i always used to find that i could run more or less at 10 mile race speed which is a lot quicker than half marathon speed up until about nine miles and then the last four miles you're kind of counting down to the finish trying not to slow too much the closer to a major marathon that i got having done all the 20 mile runs and things got more endurance in my legs the less that sort of fading after nine miles happened and all my PVs, which are kind of mid-62 and all that kind of stuff, it's um, spit in the ocean now for some of our top runners. But uh, they, they all came quite close to the end of a marathon training block where I was running hard road all the time uh, and getting the speed up. Um, again, that's because I was aiming at a marathon. So you've got to kind of weigh all these things up. What's this all leading to? For some people, I used to look for some summer races, um, which were much, much shorter. Um, so I trained for... I cover in, in the Southern League and I trained and do 800, 1500, the 4x4 in a league meeting and normally win it in about 155, 355 and run about a 51, 400 leg. And people used to laugh, this is ridiculous, our top 400 metre runner just been out sprinted by a marathon runner. For a short period in the summer, I was doing very fast training on the track, 58 second 400s and, and that kind of stuff. So you do need to give yourself an eight to 16 week period to get properly prepared and longer for the marathon because you have to build the endurance up. It's, it's clear that the more endurance you gain, more aerobic endurance you gain, the half, longer in a half marathon you can hold half marathon pace, which is pretty much your threshold pace. You couldn't possibly do a, a marathon at that. It would be a couple of percent per minute's heart rate lower uh, or, or VO2 max or whatever. Average is normally 83 to 85% maximum heart rate. And threshold tends to be 85 to 87. So it's very slim, but um, you, you can get closer to threshold by doing more aerobic endurance. And this, it's the same for a half marathon. You'll stop the fading towards the end if you're doing longer aerobic training with it. So I would say respect the distance. It's not a 10K. It's not a 1500 on the track. 13 miles is a long way still. And a lot of people are going to be out there for 90 minutes to two hours. 
um, your glycogen levels are starting to drop at that point. So you've got to train all that stuff. A good block of marathon training does put you in good stead to, to target half, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and, and you talk about not underestimating the distance. And, and I guess just listen to you, Mike, you know, it, it, I suppose it begs the question, do you think that there's a risk that people can come from marathon training? So they've, they've done a great marathon, they've trained well for it, you know, they've got all that endurance and fitness. Is there an element yeah. of overconfidence, do you think? Is there a risk of that, thinking, oh, it's only... 13 miles it's half of what i i ran do you think it can catch some people out in that respect because obviously if you want to push it it's a very different thing to just running a half isn't it? It, it it is but i think if you're an accomplished marathon runner um you can run a very good half a much much faster pace i know callum hawkins for instance um has run exactly 60 minutes for a half and whatever he's done these days two seven for a full marathon to me that means he's training too fast uh, his, his half marathon is just proportionately fast compared to his full marathon distance. Um, if he doubled his half, he should do two hours for the marathon. Um, so he's got a seven-minute differential. Double my half, and that's going to come to about three minutes, four minutes differential. So I was I trained myself not to worry about the speed needed to run a very fast half, more uh, how that could contribute to my marathon training and concentrated on the aerobic capacity so that I could get closer to my half marathon speed twice in a race. Whereas Hawkins, if he goes, well, Steve Jones proved it in Chicago many years ago. He went, went through in a, in a world record attempt at the marathon. He went through the first half in 61, realised he'd got it wrong, wasn't wearing a watch, which is a famous story, and came into the finishing straight. And if he had been wearing a watch, he, he would have taken a couple of seconds off of Carlos Lopez's world record. And it turned out he failed by just a couple of seconds. But the, the key thing is, by not wearing a watch, he wasn't really aware that he was running 61 for the first half. And his differential between the first half and the second half was quite quite big, really. Um, if he'd managed to run 62 and a half for the first half and 63 for the second half, he would have been the first sub-six uh, marathon runner. So it, it is a question of getting it right. Um, wow. But you're right, you can go into half marathon thinking, yeah, it's only half distance. Hit me with it's, tip it's three, Mike. The, the other is kind of going back to training for the terrain. And if you are going to do a trail half, almost invariably, it's going to be hilly. So you've got two things going up you've got to train for, but also coming down and running downhill is a skill. Uh, I was just reading about Keith Anderson, who British champion in the fells when he was about 40. He started running when he was 37 as an overweight chef. I know him very well. He, he became a top coach as well. And he developed into this. He came from uh, sort of Halifax way, I think, and, and did all, a lot of racing in, in the uh, sort of Ambleside area in the lakes. He developed the ability to just bounce downhill. And he said, just let yourself go. And that's the fear factor of learning to run downhill. When I run downhill, it's boom, 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 boom. I'm putting the brakes on and my heels all the time trying to control it. He just leant forward and he used his arms to control. And he said, if I feel I'm going too fast, I just wider my arms, take a leap in the air. And while you're in the air, you'll, you'll slow down. And when you reach the ground again, you start running. Wow. So every now and again, he, He'd be going down a really steep hill thinking, oh my God, if I was doing that, I'd fall. Uh, and as he, he felt that I need to bring this back in, he would literally just widen his arms, get his balance, do a little leap in the air, then reduce his stride back down again and off he goes. I was reading somewhere that he's got the record for the fastest descent, you know, maximum speed down, down a gradient uh, of anyone in the world, which is quite extraordinary. He was quite quite good at going back up as well, but uh, coming down, he was magic. It was absolutely incredible. 
I love the idea of that, and I love the way that you've just set it out there. And it, it sounds to me like it's the kind of thing I used to do when I was a small child, where you'd run quickly down a hill and you'd lose control of your legs, and then you'd try and slow down and you'd flap your arms around. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think what they should start doing is they st- should start uh, timing young children and toddlers running down hills. And then I think that's where we could find our next record, because <laughs> it clearly works. It clearly, it clearly works. works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Uh, but we should be getting kids not to run on the road, but to run l- little trail courses and things. It's better for their limbs anyway. There's more variance on stride length, and uh, and, and they do learn those skills. I mean, Keith, having not been an athlete until he was in his late 30s, wasn't burdened by all of our fears. So when he did it, he, he just went like a kid would do, did it intuitively. This is, this is a massive subject, Mike. I'm really pleased that you threw that tip into the mix, actually, mm. because, I, I mean, this there's so many thoughts and considerations around that and I, I think actually it's something that's probably often considered by runners when they're going to training for an event if they're running a hilly course they might think well I need to do some hill training I need to focus on you know do some hill reps and focus on running uphill but actually running at pace downhill mm-hmm. is a skill as you're saying and I'll tell you what how I can relate sort of my experience a little bit and I don't profess to be a, a fantastic snowboarder or mountain biker but I have done a bit of both in my time and I love the off-road running and it is a fear factor because you stiffen up don't you if you don't have the confidence to let yourself go as pete's saying run like a kid take the brakes off and just almost free fall which you clearly have been able to do mike prior to kind of some scrapes and bumps that maybe made you a little bit more cautious you, mm. if you stiffen up you don't run as well do you you need to kind of relax and just go oh, with the absolutely yeah. you, you mentioned the road as well you know because it's easy to talk about kind mm-hmm. of uphill downhill off road and it's technical and these foul yeah. runners a lot of them win it based on how quickly they can cover the ground coming down the descents but on the road, I see it myself in races and in training if I'm around the runners, people holding themselves back, almost leaning back into mm. the hill. Does that make sense? Digging the heels in, yeah. as you say. Yeah. How, I mean, how yeah. can, do people just simply go out and practice this in training? I mean, how can we get better at overcoming that, I guess, fear, really, and improving that ability? You can start by introducing it as an element of speed work. So you could find a football field with a, a soft gradient downhill, uh, and then do some, you know, three, 400 metres sprinting with a wide stride down the hill and then turning around, jog back up, sprint down 400 metres again. I used to do that at um, University of Cape when I was training there. There's a great big grass field which had three cricket ovals on it, but it was on a slope. And I used to run on the grass in bare feet and trying to keep on the front of my foot, be as light as possible and run quickly downhill and then translate that on some of your longer runs, um, do a kind of a fartlicky type thing when you get to a downslope, speed up. My natural inclination was always get to a hill, dig in and go as hard as possible. But one, one of my training partners, Nick Braun, who run a 2.11 marathon, but also made the England cross-country team for the World Cross Country a couple of times. We used to wait for him at the top of the hill going up. And then he'd say, thanks guys. And then off like a rocket down the hill. His skill, he said, why are you bothering to, you know, power up the hill? You're losing so much by not being able to carry it on. So, uh, and the other thing he said was that actually he didn't generate any lactic acid. So the next day he wasn't sore. And my legs were, I mean, my quads would be solid because of working, grinding against the slope. Um, Because he was just going up at normal speed and then concentrating on picking his pace up off the top. And then from that, we, we developed a hill session where we would do, say, 300 metres up, a fairly steep hill, but then continue off the top and then let it drop slightly so that we were learning then to power up a hill, but also not to stop at the top, which you would do on a typical hill session, but more like a race, carry on over the top. 
It wasn't designed for double running. You'd have to run further downhill. It was designed more for cross-country races where you go up, but then have to carry on through the dale or whatever to uh, through the race. And the natural cross-country is unrelenting, never slows down. So you just uh, get your breath back on top of a hill. You'd lose 20 places straight away. So it's, it was a good skill for that. But you could replicate that by having a hilly course. They coined the phrase Kenyan Hills, which was um, choosing a hill circuit run hard up the hill but keep the pace the same and run hard down the hill because you're running with gravity coming down you can go the same speed but with less effort uh, and then keep keep doing that and then you'll you'll eventually use that to become more efficient as a downhill runner practice in training make sure the slope is is relatively gentle initially just build your confidence and ability and then you can start to increase things i guess as as you develop like with any kind of area of of training indeed and and then if you're going to do that kind of race then go and do a few of them and you'll get better at it the more you compete as you do with you know with any, any skill the, the more you do it in, in a kind of um, competitive situation, the more you become more efficient at doing it. So, so it's, it's worth you know, doing lots of trail runs. Mike, more thoughts on half marathon training. What else do people need to consider? We've got you. I want to make the most of you picking your brains. Yeah, uh, well, obviously the next side of it, particularly on the road, is pace. Because on, on trails, it doesn't really matter about PBs. Of course, it's different. And you'll get a rough idea. I should normally do 140 on the trail 120 on the road road racing is more specifically about your time most for most people for elite athletes it's about win or, win or lose but for most athletes it's about pb so you've got to learn to run at a speed that's going to allow you to run a pb for most people there's an over reliance on doing threshold tempo type running there's been a theory around for a long time which i disagree with and always have is that you can do more speed work if you do it as tempo and stay just below the anaerobic threshold. It's, tempo and threshold, in my mind, is much the same thing, but tempo is really just fast running. But everybody tries to hit that golden spot, um, which is threshold. But I think when you do a few days of that, your legs are very tired again. And a good friend of mine, who, who's not a coach, but he was a very good marathon runner, uh, Max Colby from Gateshead, run 2.14, and he was a representative for Nike when I was being sponsored by Nike. Uh, and he said... Biggest problem as he could see it, and I agree with him because I came up from the track, is that most runners now are over-reliant on trying to run marathon speed all the time, run a certain speed all the time. All they do is end up with running a middle speed. So all of their training, their long runs get up to that speed, their faster runs are down to that speed. They're always running at an aerobic threshold. So they're not really testing it. If you're training for a road half marathon and a marathon, there's got to be an element of faster running going into anaerobic running and that's things like you know boring talk session would be 16 times 400 with a hundred meter jog or you know 90 second jog maximum no some good stuff there. so you're yeah. saying this uh, 16 by sort of 400 meters is a classic yeah that's a classic sort of session i used to get up to 25 times 400 with a hundred jog which was taking a, about 30 seconds so it's kind of hard you know 5k normally i'm getting that first ones in around sort of 68 to 70 which is 10k pace but then after a few you'd get into a kind of 5k pace rhythm and they just get you into that anaerobic zone without destroying you but then i would still do sessions like maybe 10 400s in sub 60s but with a longer recovery depending where it fitted in but the principle is i was doing some long slowish ones 
And only toward very close to a marathon, or in this case a half marathon, would I go at marathon speed for any distance. Because most of it was either aerobic capacity training or it was anaerobic training. And not very much on that flat line just below the anaerobic threshold. If you're racing regularly, you're doing that regularly anyway. So I don't think it's a valid sort of, you're not learning anything from it. Physiologically, you've got to tax the body. And if you want to raise your anaerobic threshold level, I think you've got to run anaerobically. You, you make an interesting point about the race, mm. the races, Mike, as part of training, because while a lot of people yeah. will, if, like you say, it's a road race, they usually attach a time to it of some description, a target time, yeah. maybe a PB, maybe not, but something mm. that perhaps challenges yeah. them. But actually, it's important to remember that every single race that we do is a fantastic training session, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. It's the best training. Paul Evans, who ran 2.8 to win Chicago Marathon, his coach, John Bycott, said, go and do lots of small races, um, count them as doing training with a number on. It's, it's the same with everything. You've got to get used to running at race pace in races, not in training. Um, and if you want to improve your cardiovascular fitness, long slow, if you want to improve your VO2 fitness, faster than aerobic so you're getting a range of stuff through different manners and if you want heat acclimatization do the south downs half marathon but that was hot <laughs> it was a very hot day i can vouch for that i can vouch for that Mark. yeah Mike. but you're dead right it, it you know it's about acclimatizing yourself getting used to the conditions in hand you know you mentioned pacing there mm. and the importance of which is where this kind of thought around half marathon training came from and it, it is getting that uh, training intelligently, isn't it? You're talking about VO2 max stuff, getting you know up to that anaerobic yeah. and not just going out there and kind of the lines being merged and blurred and all you're doing is kind of close to marathon pace. You know, not doing the super easy stuff and not doing really the, the, the hyper-challenging stuff, you know. But I love that. Yeah. I've written that down. Mm-hmm. Training with a number on. That's what racers are. Yes. Very often. That's yeah, a really not, good point. Don't, don't credit me. Paul Evans, that was. <laughs> not, 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 if you're going to credit somebody, it's Paul Evans. Otherwise, you'll have me good man <laughs> love it listen it's yeah. great chatting to you mike about this i absolutely love it give me your fifth and final thought tip trick half marathon training what do you think that's a difficult one so i think we cover mo- most bases now I-, I think the thing is is to build confidence and it is all about confidence and you do that by racing fairly regularly you can't do too many half marathons but also doing your 5ks your 10ks and uh uh your 15 miles even off road off the site last week 15 miles Trail race would have been ideal for most half marathon runners uh, and build confidence in racing. Racing is training, as we said, said earlier, it's the best form of training and avoiding it, you're never going to come to a natural peak. Some athletes thrive on it and obviously Porter Radcliffe set the world record do, doing things her way. Can't criticise that. <laughs> it, it, it worked. Um, but for most athletes, I think their confidence builds as they get fitter through racing. They can see the improvement coming. So kind of gear things, I always say plan for your training to improve and you build confidence that way. So get your diaries or say 12, 16 weeks out, put your target race at the head of the page or at the bottom of the page actually, work the dates backwards from the race. So you can say right, taper week, um, final speed work week uh, and then work backwards so that the 16th or the first week in effect, 16 weeks out uh, is mostly just aerobic running as a base do that for two or three weeks and just bring in some hills maybe then you'll bring in some uh, source some more speed endurance type 400 reps then you'll bring in some faster reps and you'll bring in a 5k a 10k yeah you, you can work backwards from your race date uh, and then if you do it properly and you have everything working through a progression to be faster as you get to your race your confidence goes up as well 
So the, the dangerous side of that is when you get to the highest pace two or three weeks out is the typical time that people get an injury and that knocks your confidence. So you have to be cautious that you don't get very fit, push yourself too hard and the body gives way even though your engine is in fantastic shape. It's a balancing act, isn't it? Not always so easy to get right. Well, absolutely. Uh, Kelly Holmes is one of the greatest examples of that. She went to a number of Olympic Games in fantastic shape. Her and uh, Maria Matola were the best athletes in the world by some margin, but just before the game, she got injured each time. And then for the last one, she was training in South Africa, um, went to Coral Bay in Cyprus just before Athens uh, and stayed there, kept herself out of trouble, didn't get injured, flew over to Athens just in time for her races and two gold medals. So getting it right is so important. You can do very well, as she had done prior. I mean, good results in the Olympics, but not quite the result everybody wanted or she wanted probably. But by getting it right, not getting injured three weeks out or whatever, having all that worry of seeing the physio, seemed to me from the outside very cheerful, buoyant, waiting for it to happen, being confident, with all her races knew she ran at the back for a lap she was always going to be able to overtake everybody else and no it it was a brilliant example of getting it wrong for a couple of olympics learning and then getting it right it was all about planning it was all about getting the training right uh building confidence going into the big day and i think there's Uh, there's a lot that recreational runners can learn from that as well that that experience mike although it's on a very different level and that is learned from perhaps mistakes in training or sometimes is it mistake or is it actually just something that happened how can you you perhaps you know picked up an injury that you couldn't foresee happening and it it struck you at the wrong time but we we learn from it just adapt our training and then you will hopefully have your day which clearly she did so amazing absolutely yeah getting it right is the most difficult thing in time of it all i always think when when i was a PE student and we're going through all sorts of events i could never do gymnastics how the hell do you do a flip flack? I have no idea where my body's in space. I end up splaying all over the crash mat. When I relate that back to what we did on the PE course, they said, we'll use you as a guinea pig. Now go and run 460 seconds. And I did a little warm up. I ran 400 in 60 seconds. No problem. It was just ingrained, which is, I guess, how gymnasts and other people learn their skills. But really running is a very low skill activity. It's a bit about pace judgment and um, proprioception, learning race skills, like when to attack, when to uh, stay back. But mostly it's about timing, knowing how your body reacts to certain sorts of training. And you're going to get it wrong as often as you're going to get it right. But if at the end you're still getting the same things wrong, you're still getting injured with the same training session you know, the next two or three years, then you're not learning from your experiences. So uh, what Kelly Holmes did, obviously, was to learn and uh, she found how to look after herself up to the Olympics in the end. Uh, and not very many athletes do that. They just go from week to week. Culprit in a way, although I do, I love park run. I think it's great for bringing people into the sport. Is people get hooked into, um, I don't know, if you're a 22-minute park runner, you'll always be a 22-minute park runner because that's what you aspire to. And you don't do any training that's going to change things. Uh, but if they went away and said, I'll do a park run every month, and these are the work backwards. These are the training things I'm going to do so that in three months' time, I'm at a 20-minute part run, they will get there. But they don't do that. They just go out every week, do the same training, have the same result. Same training, same result. Nearly always, they start off at, say, 28 minutes. They get down to 22. It seems to be the natural kind of point where it becomes hard and you have to do some specific training. Um, 
But the further up you go, the more you get towards a marathon, people will plan it or get someone to plan it for them because in your mind you're thinking this is much more of an ordeal. If I don't get this right, it's going to be a long day out there. So uh, it's important for every event to, to plan your training. I mean, sprinters will spend all winter in, in the gym lifting weights and come out and run in the spring, go to Lanzarote or somewhere to get their early sprints in so they don't get injured. Then they'll come back in June, they'll start doing their, their race season. Um, it's all planned out. But for some reason, middle distance runners think that I'll just go out and run the same every week and get the same result, either injured or <laughs> the same time in, in your next race. And occasionally you'll have that day when you, you run a bit better but more or less you can say he's going to run 72 minutes, four and a half, because that's what they always do. So uh, it's, it's a difficult one. To, training to intelligently, but, uh, I think, isn't it, is, is what we're saying here. Breaking things up, components of yes. your, your training, rather than just doing the same thing uh, and, and hoping uh, that yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you get quicker. Yeah, if it, if it, yeah, absolutely. If it didn't work last time, then it's not, is it? So uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to be, I, I think adaptable is more than anything. Um, but yeah, it's got to, smart training has been around for a long time, sort of resting with, after your hard sessions, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, adapting and understanding you as a person is the most important. And yeah, when I'm coaching somebody, I'm not that bothered too much about whether they did the schedule sent out. I mean, they might say, my legs were, well, I know from Lauren that she didn't do the hill session the day after um, doing office diet because her legs were sore. Well, that's fine because she was on a high from finishing second in the race. But I more ask them, how do you feel? And if they said, oh, I'm really sore then, or it's not going well at the moment, I need a week off. You've got to respond to that and not just say stick to the programme because that's not coaching. Anybody can write a programme. Um, you get it out of a book and write it down. I did it for years with Runners World. It went out to 100,000 people, all with the same schedule. Well, how can that work? It's ridiculous. They paid me, so I thought, kind of didn't question it. But, <laughs> um, but it is a case that you have to take what's written down, adapt it to you, feedback to your coach if you have one, or if you're de- taking it out of the internet or Runners World, adapt it as you use it and say, that last time I did this session of 2400s, my ankles hurt for two weeks. So what can I do to change that for me? We're all different. We all respond to training at different speeds. Different things make us fitter. Some people do get fit for half a full marathon on fairly low mileage. There's no doubt about it. Not many people do. Most people get fit with the aerobic background thing. But you've got to know which of those athletes you are. Because if you really should be training for aerobic capacity, but all your training, you're doing 50 miles a week and it's all that threshold speed, then uh, you haven't learned anything. You're just doing what it says in the book. You need to find out what kind of athlete you are. And that's a little bit of trial and error. Maybe take you a couple of years of trying this, didn't work, try that. Oh, that worked. And then doing a bit more of that because it worked and then see where you go. Uh, it's how I developed from about the age of 18 to 22, 23. Tried all sorts of training. I was doing hour fartleks, did straight up and down hills, steeper, narrower. I did some hill reps that were a mile long. I tried it all. Uh, eventually came out with a plan, which won me the London Marathon. So uh, it, kind of when you hit it, you know it. 80, I was 12th or 13th in the Olympic trials. The next year I was third in the national championships. The next year I was third in London, third in the Commonwealth. And then in 83, won London. So over that four years, I developed something which got me from 217 in the Olympic trials to uh, you know, 29. Uh, it was huge. If you asked me at the Olympic trials, will you run sub 210? I said, I don't know. It's, you can't imagine it. 
But as you go through all the stepping stones, alter your training, add a bit more, add a bit more, change a bit, get a result, you move on to the next stage. So planning is the most important and understanding what it does for you, what works for you uh, and what you enjoy as well. There's no point running marathons if actually what you enjoy is part run. Do more part runs. <laughs> it's, it's simple. If you want to run a fast marathon, it's your aim. You've got to build your training around it and forget part run, do them uh, without worrying about the results. So you, you kind of have to look at everything. What's it doing for me and my targets and how I respond to training? It's all about the individual. There, there are plenty of scientific, um, I wouldn't say theories because they're, they're all the truth. Um, but the way certain sorts of training affect people's um, physiology and the way they run, ability to burn fats, all those things are different for everybody. So so it's, it's a typical kind of 70s, 80s training book exercise. When you read all these things, there's nothing new, really. Uh, Mo Farah was doing 120, 140 miles a week. From what I can read, nothing's ever published in his training. So we can't see what he did week to week. But it does appear from things that get out that it's mostly just miles. It worked for him. He managed to switch from the 10K or from 1500 to the marathon, which is a huge range, by changing his training. In, in my day, Brendan Foster was the generation before me, and I looked up. Um, obviously, he scores 5,000 champion the same day he won the three A's 5,000. Uh, so I looked at his training, and my coach, Cliff Temple, wrote a book about Brendan Foster. And at the back of it were samples of Brendan Foster's actual training for the 76-ish, I can't remember, um, European 5,000 metres championships where he ran away from Lassie Vera, the Olympic champion, with a 60-second lap in the middle of the 5,000. He trained for that, but I, I kind of stumbled on a June session where he was training for this 10,000 metres in the Europeans, and it was a 120-mile week, started with high mileage in on say let's say Wednesday there was 10 miles 10 miles 10 miles 30 miles in the day on Friday night at Crystal Palace there was England versus I, I don't know USA say uh, 1500 metres he won it in 342 in a 120 mile week with 30 miles 30 miles run on and everybody says well Benton Foster's a 1500 5000 metre runner he is but he's running 120 miles a week most of his training is, is aerobic and it got me thinking. So everyone has to go through that process, which is the purpose of the story, really, is you've got to look at what people are doing, try it for yourself, and, and then adapt it to suit you. Ben Foster was far quicker than me doing his intervals. I could never run that speed. So I did more of them, but I did them slower than he was doing with shorter recovery. So I adapted it. And you've got to test and tweak it, as you're saying, and be specific. It's about you, as you say. And I, I love that. It is about the individual completely. If people want to sign up for uh, the upcoming races, it's 209events.com. So can people still get uh, places for Denby's North Downs half on the 27th? Kind of unofficially, we'll take entries on the day. It's the same sort of size as South Downs. Okay. We don't want to advertise it because we don't want to over-promote it because that's point we'll be back to normal numbers and we don't want people wandering down saying oh, those guys always take it on the day ah, sure. when, when we get to a certain level we won't but if someone came comes down on the day we're not going to turn you away okay way. and you've got um, the Farnborough, Farnborough winter half, half July 11th yes yeah penguin team as you do. <laughs> um, uh, and that will it's about 750 800 at the moment that should just top a thousand it's normally two and a half thousand but we're happy with a thousand because everything's promoted late this year and there is a certain resistance from people i've spoken to 
to get back out. One of the big things on Saturday, actually, is how many people said, it's just so nice to get back out. And I didn't know how it was going to be, but I felt this was safe. It was enjoyable. No one made any fuss. We weren't made to stand a metre away, you know, all this stuff. Everybody used their common sense. Uh, we let it flow. More of that will happen as time goes by, despite Boris trying to keep us locked up. Um, as time goes by, people will get used to the idea of entering races again and it being fairly back to relaxed. Absolutely. Uh, That's it. Uh, we're runners. Uh, we want to get out there. We're runners, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we know from... We just launched the Grim Challenge, which is a muddy running old shot in December. And... I think it's far enough away for people to think they'll be back to normal by then because they're coming in faster than other races at the moment. So people are getting the confidence that by December, everything should be OK. We won't be getting our money back in the post, which is what's been happening so far. We've cancelled so many events. We had Santa runs last December all planned because we opened up. Uh, we had to set people off in sixes, that's fine. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we had a Christmas lockdown. And we ended up refunding three or 400 people their entry fee and we've got a lockup full of Santa suits to get rid of so <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone's going to enter a race this year please come to a Santa run so we can get rid of them so uh, <laughs> Love yeah, it. No, but, but I think people are, are getting more confident and it was a nice feeling on Saturday for a lot of those people it's the first time they've raced so it's the Denby's North Downs half 27th of June the Farnborough winter half with a bit of difference. a difference it is on July the 11th and people can uh, register for that at uh, 209events.com I hope our paths cross again soon at one of your events they definitely will thank you very much Running with Jake the podcast. what an awesome guy uh, exactly the same as when we had him on the first time around I could have spoken to him for days. Yeah, I just think he's brilliant. He's got so much to say. And, um, you know, that, that quote that he referred to, racing is training with a number, says it all really, doesn't it? And I know it's not his quote, but whoever said that is brilliant. Bang on. Absolutely bang on. And I love stuff like that. There's so many of those gems, and he's just such a knowledgeable guy. I think people are going to get a lot from this. Absolutely. Anyway, about uh, people getting stuff from something, how about um, if you want to pay us for this? You can do, of course. Yes, this is free. Running with Jake <laughs> is free. However, it costs us money if you'd like to throw a little bit, just a couple of quid into the pot every month. That would be really, really nice. Really do appreciate it. And we really do look after our patrons as well. Uh, if you do want to, um, just give us a, just give us whatever you can afford. And not all that you can afford, just a little proportion of what you can afford. That would be lovely, and we really do appreciate it. Just go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and click on the Patreon banner at the top there. It's not at the top because it's really, really important to us, but it is kind of important. <laughs> we, we've actually spoken about this before on the show, and we did say that to our patrons, we are going to give something a little bit extra, which we are still yet to decide on what that little something is. Yeah, but it's going to be a really, really, really good something, OK? Well, I got a suggestion the other day. I had a suggestion from one of our listeners who said, I've been thinking, I've been thinking. I was out on a run, I was thinking about your whole Patreon thing, and... I was thinking about what you could offer your mm. patrons, and she suggested an outtakes show. Oh, no. So a mini version of, like, all the recordings that don't make it into the final episode. I mean, this day's worth, man. I mean, that's like a... Is it an omnibus? Would it be an omnibus? It's a long... That would be way too long. Seriously, you'd be bored with that, and then you'd, then you'd really judge us. You'd be like, they are awful people. Because the stuff we get away with on the show, that's one thing. The stuff that happens that gets edited out, that's a completely different ball game. Well, I've added it to the list anyway. Right now, <laughs> it's time to take another one of your questions. It is hashtag 
Ask Jake. Today's question comes from Adam, who has a lightweight waterproof jacket for really wet weather, which works really well during the winter. But in the summer months, and when it's even vaguely warm, he finds that he just ends up sweating way too much and it feels massively uncomfortable and it feels drenched, which kind of defeats the object of having a waterproof jacket. And he wants to know if I've got any tips. That's a great question. Totally understand where you're coming from, Adam, and it can be very frustrating. So, first of all, the thing to bear in mind is there is a bit of a trade-off here between having a, a jacket that is breathable and having a jacket that is fully waterproof. Now, I know a lot of manufacturers will say this is a breathable, waterproof jacket, but there will be a trade-off somewhere, so it's important that you bear that in mind. The second thing is, I think what could really work well is a gilet, and I think this is an item of clothing that is often overlooked with runners in general because they often choose a long-sleeve jacket when a gilet might be more appropriate. It just gives you a little bit of protection, but without being too much, you can get some great, really light thin gilets as well which might suit you more when the weather is a little bit warm and the final thing to mention to you really is actually you could just get wet and i know that does sound like a funny tip or piece of advice to give you but really it is only just water and if you are talking about the summer months here where it's it's pretty warm then you're not going to get seriously cold you know and ill through having wet skin and a a wet t-shirt it's worth making sure that the top that you're wearing is pretty thin and doesn't hold too much water i think that's important and you could even just swing by your house so you could do some loops if it is a particularly wet run and just be organized so you've got a change of clothing a t-shirt in the boot of your car on the drive perhaps or in the house or stowed in the garden wherever works for you and you can just have a quick change if you feel that you need to i just think planning ahead for things like the weather as well in a long run if if it's looking wet and you typically do your long run on a uh, saturday then look what it's like on a sunday and vice versa give yourself some flexibility plan ahead and above all don't worry too much about getting wet when it is so warm out there. I hope that helps. If you've got a question, it's hashtag Ask Jake, or you can drop me an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. <coughs> I mean, if we did do like an outtakes show, that would probably have made the cut, wouldn't it? You coughing and spluttering your tea everywhere, all over the lens on the camera. It's disgusting, Pete. I don't think, I think that's a poor idea, actually. I don't think people need an outtakes show. They don't need that. I'm going to cross that off the list. Bloody sucks. I'm sorry. This brings the show to a close. Episode 70-something, I know, 78, is it? 78? Yeah, 78. 78, man. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed today's show. Thank you to everybody that made it possible. Thank you to today's guest, Dave Gratton. Uh, We will be back (laughs) next week for another (laughs) weekly dose of motivation. Until then, be safe, run well, and do all that kind of stuff. You know, have fun and whatnot. Oh, and one more thing. Remember, racing is just training with a number. Jake Lowe, 2021.